this. Yes, Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Blockbuster Film School! Yeah, 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 yeah! That's right. It's me, Alex Bonner, your professor, joined with the headmaster, Nicholas Souter. I'm just trying to make Brian's jobs harder. <laughs> Aren't we all? Super producer Brian Tepsis here as well. I know you're probably not listening to this at the time we recorded it, which is summer. <laughs> but if you are, just know Brian is completely naked except for a sash. <laughs> And uh, me and Nick are dressed in Spider-Man costumes, which as is, per usual. Yeah, you know, which we're is in the fun. living room. It's fun. It's just something fun. We do it every summer. We just walk around Chicago dressed in Spider-Man costumes until we get beaten mercilessly. Well, everybody, it's another great episode of Blockbuster Film School. We're going to talk about one of America's sweethearts, one of the great, interesting characters in the history of Hollywood, Miss Halle Berry. Woo, <laughs> A interesting character. Let's put it that way. She's weird. <laughs> Some of her movies are very good. Some of them are Gothica or <laughs> Cat <Woman>. Swordfish <laughs> or Catwoman. Woo! We're going to talk about the whole dang enchilada involving Miss Hallie Maria Berry. We'll go into our normal thing, though. Nick, what was the first Halle Berry movie you remember watching? You know, I don't want to get the show off to a bad start, <laughs> but I don't want to lie either. It's the last Boy Scout. Wow. I watched it because let's take a time trip. Yeah. Back to 1993. I'm 10 years old. We have HBO and there's a new movie starring John McClane, the guy from In Living Color <laughs> and the wee little survivor from Halloween four and five. I was so excited. And then I was like, hey, I didn't know who that was. It was Halle Berry. She's really good. You know, what they do. The only likable character in the movie, they kill her off in the first 10 minutes she's on screen. Brutally. They brutally, brutally murder her. And then do they mention it ever again? No. (laughs) Damon Wayans is like, hey, man, I lost my family, too. It's like, okay, talk about it. It's like, nah. Also, typically in a movie when someone's girlfriend gets murdered, that's typically a part of the plot. Is it in Last Boy Scout? Somewhere in the middle there, they started doing way too much cocaine and also... Pretty sure Bruce Willis was like, I think I should do some more comedy bits instead of maybe instead of me caring about whether the girlfriend got killed. Maybe I just do like like a fedora based comedy bit. And everyone just had to kind of look at each other and then slowly realize their careers were in grave, grave jeopardy. Yeah. (laughs) What's his fucking name? Who wrote this? Joel Silver. Not Joel Silver. (laughs) Shane Black. Shane Black. (laughs) Shane Black didn't write anything after that until Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in 2003. Well, this movie was <laughs> terrible. I mean, we've talked about it. Me and you watched it. We watched the whole thing. I know. As an exercise, like that character in the scarlet letter who beats himself <laughs> to pay for his sins. That's what it felt like watching The Last Boy Scout. Although Halle Berry, which I think will be a through line for her entire career, which is that she was kind of good in it. She was kind of good in it. <laughs> and then they decided to put 50 bullets in her. <laughs> Because Shane Black was going through a breakup, so he decided, let's kill every woman in the movie. (laughs) Also, I'm sure she may have had a 
a larger character in the movie. But once again, yeah. But what if I maybe instead of we had those scenes? Okay. You oh got, no! Your Bruce Willis is way too close to your <laughs> Steven Seagal, and it's making me uncomfortable. There is no way that Bruce Willis did not see Under Siege and say, "Interesting." <laughs> I mean. I don't think Bruce Willis has ever watched a movie. That's also very possible. If you were to tell me that Bruce Willis has never actually read a book or seen a movie. Yeah. He just only plays harmonica in a room until he has to be on camera. I would believe you. Also, this is a terrible irony. None of this would be funny. We're talking shit about Bruce Willis not being funny. I bet you Bruce Willis (laughs) has not watched a movie since the original Die Hard came out in theaters. He's like, this is it. I am film. It's over. It's all beneath me. Because if he is, would have watched any of his movies since like the fifth element or read any of the scripts, he might have a decent career right now. I have a theory that Bruce Willis is very much so one of those true parrots of the Hollywood scene in the sense that he is a full on mimic. And if he has a John McTiernan or at that point, a still talented Luke Besson, like to tell him exactly what they want yeah. in a very concise, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to say it. He can then do that. But if you're in a sort of Coke fueled Joel silver, I don't know, man, what do you guys think? Then he doesn't know what to think. No, his idea is harmonica and fedora and it's, yeah, <laughs> it's not so great. The first Halle Berry movie I ever saw, was, this is a Halle Berry episode? I already it's Halle Berry. Berry. <laughs> It's also the talking shit about Bruce Willis episode, which is funny because I do genuinely like Bruce Willis. I used to, up into the fifth element. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Then he stopped trying. I like The Sixth Sense. I think The Sixth Sense is still... Is that before or after, though? It's after. Okay. I think. It's right there. They're both like... It's the ni- same, yeah. It's like 97, 98. He like had himself a good couple of years. He also was one of the first ones who really did this thing where he took a shot on somebody who nobody gave a shit about in M night Shyamalan and was basically like, yeah, I'll do it. But if this makes any money, I get most of it. And that worked out real good for him. So he hasn't really had to try now because he made like $300 million off of that movie. It's insane. I saw a movie called boomerang starring Eddie Murphy directed by a person named Reginald Hudland in which he directed other stuff. Oh Yeah. But he's not Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and it's a movie about Eddie Murphy is a womanizer and a chauvinist. And then he meets Robin Givens. But also Halle Berry is there. And I remember her in it. Also, I remember her being very attractive and fun. And that's all I remember from the movie Boomerang. Yeah. Also, in defense of Reginald Hoodland, he wrote directed House Party, which is my father's favorite film. <laughs> Launched the film careers of Kid and Play. And Martin Lawrence. Hundreds of years from now, when your father is buried, we should, on his tombstone, put, like, beloved father, son, and favorite movie is House Party, directed by Reginald Hudland. You know, <laughs> it's not far off from that. It's not far off from the epitaph he has written. I'm just saying, first of all, there's not that many Spielbergs. That is true. In fact, there's only one. There is only one. Unless you there's really only one wanna... person who directed the original House Party. <laughs> It's Reginald Hedlund. Unless you really want to piss off Steven Soderbergh. Wait a minute, you're Steven Spielberg? Steven Soderbergh would just go along with it until you figured it out. <laughs> so yeah. Yep. All right, so let's do our normal thing on Hallie Maria Berry. She was born 
August 14th, 1966 in Cleveland, Ohio. She went to Cuyahoga Community College. She Cuyahoga. Was, Cuyahoga. That river lit on fire one time. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, that's Cleveland. Safe. Nice job. She is an American actress, model. We will talk about it. She is the first woman of color to ever win an Academy Award for acting. That happened. She's almost there. She has a primetime Emmy Award and a Golden Globe. So she gets herself that Grammy. She's been in a ton of weird shit. She won the Miss USA pageant and then came in sixth in the Miss World 1986. Miss World. So pretty good. Yeah. She has good bone structure. (laughs) And can... That's the most unsettling thing you've said in any episode. (laughs) I like the way her bones look. Jesus Christ. (laughs) We will talk about her whole goofy-ass career, but interesting enough, she was born Maria Halle Berry, and then her parents actually changed her name when she was five years old to Halle Maria Berry. This is not a joke. Her parents selected her middle name from Halle's Department Store, which was then a local landmark in Cleveland, Ohio. So they are... Cleveland people. Wow. That's why my real first name was Sears, Sears Roebuck Bonner. And then I decided I didn't have a middle name because my parents decided you would just have a fight in the waiting room of the hospital. <laughs> Not like a physical fight. Like, you know, <laughs> you're drunk. No, you're drunk. It's like, no, that's what you say every time. They you are drunk. D- dad's love of spinal tap. He was like, his name should be Nigel. Yeah. Nigel Huffnell Souter. Your mom was like, uh, I don't think so. My mom's like, I keep throwing away that movie and you keep buying it. We're not naming him Nigel. That's where those copies went. And Nick was bored. I like that story, actually. Yeah. I like that I, that origin story. That baby Nick was like, interesting. A VHS copy of Spinal Tap, eh? No, baby Nick was just like, I heard there was lunch coming. <laughs> we going to KFC? <laughs> um... Barry has said, though, she's published reports that she has been estranged from her father since her childhood, noting in 1992, I haven't heard from him since he left. Maybe he's not alive. So she had a real weird childhood. Her father was very abusive to her mother. Terrible, terrible stuff. People getting hit with wine bottles. But it's interesting because Barry grew up in Oakwood, Ohio, and graduated from Bedford High School, where she was a cheerleader, an honor student, an editor of the school newspaper, and the prom queen. So let's just say... Halle Berry's kind of been like a superstar her entire fucking life. Like, she is not. You know what it is? Hmm. It's the same thing that guided Trent Reznor. Everybody wants to get the fuck out of Ohio. (laughs) That's always what everyone says. Yeah. (laughs) He's also one win-win from EGOT. So they both have that in common. That is true. They're going for it. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I guess he could win a Tony. Does he have a Tony? He doesn't have a Tony. Yeah, okay. Tony's the harder one to do, I think. Well, next year they're putting, it's official. They announce it. They're putting on, I want to fuck you like an animal to play. <laughs> so he's guaranteed the win. I will go. Julie Taymor's directing it. I'm in. I'm going to that. That is a deep cut theater joke for you nerds. She is a very famous movie director, but also directed that Spider-Man after dark play or whatever the shit it was when there was the Spider-Man musical. Does anyone remember this? that Bono wrote the music for. That's a real thing. That is a blockbuster film school. If you don't know that Google yourself, Spider-Man musical, Julie Tabor. You're you welcome. Know, I remember this actually. I drink. So I don't remember this. <laughs> I have nightmares. There is some solid stories. Maybe one day we'll do a office hours about movies that get turned into musicals or something. I don't know. Something along those lines. Nick is shaking his head. Cause no. he's right. That's the correct answer. Yeah. All right. But after that, as I said, She was Miss Teen All-American in 1985 as a model and then Miss Ohio in 1986. 
She was, oh, the runner-up in Miss USA 1986 to Christy Fleischer. I don't know who that is. Her interview was awarded the highest score by the judges, though. Big surprise. Yeah. Halle Berry is a charming individual, and when she talks, people want to listen to what she has to say. So, in 1989, after all that, Barry moved to New York City to pursue her acting ambitions. During her early time there, she ran out of money and had to live briefly in a homeless shelter. Her situation improved by the end of the year, and she was cast in the role of model Emily Franklin in the short-lived ABC television series Living Dolls, which was shot in New York and was a spin-off of the hit series Who's the Boss? Angela! That's when the daughter goes to college. I believe so. Yeah, I've seen this. What's the daughter's name? Samantha? Samantha! Alyssa Milano. Yes. Yes. Alyssa Milano. The delicious cookie person. Yeah. And then Tony Danza was in it and he played a guy named Tony. He's like, I got a lot of range. Yeah. <laughs> you need me to get hit in the head <laughs> or read off cue cards at a talk show? Starts doing work. He's like, I'll get hit in the head with anything. Yeah. Just as long as you pay me, Angela. He was a stunt double in Home Alone. <laughs> I buy that. So during the taping of Living Dolls, she lapsed into a coma and was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, right? So... I believe it's pronounced diabetes. Diabetes. We're in Chicago. And diabetes. It's interesting how much shit Halle Berry has had to put up with yeah. in her life and has still been cool and still, like, she... Her dad was a psycho. She fucking had to live in Cleveland. And then she was homeless. She was homeless. She, which actually still beats... Being homeless in New York is better than living in Cleveland. <laughs> you like that, Cleveland? Come get me with your rivers on fire. You didn't hear this, but Brian Tepp solos off. Mike, we have a lot of listeners in Cleveland. So the rest of the jokes I make about Ohio, just so you know, I only half mean them. Because no one's ever made jokes about Cleveland. No. Just like no one's ever made jokes about Chicago and this nightmare hellhole. You know what I heard? Hmm. The Cleveland Rocks. I heard that. I heard they got two buildings. Yeah. (laughs) One you go into, one you don't. (laughs) There's a lot of great people in Cleveland, and we love you, Cleveland fans. Congratulations. But if you move anywhere else, we'll like you better. That's true. After the cancellation of Living Dolls, she moved to Los Angeles, and things went a little better there. She met a super up-and-coming director named Spike Lee, which, if you haven't listened to our Spike Lee episode, it's pretty damn good. And she was in a movie called Jungle Fever in 1991, where she played Vivian, a drug addict, which also was one of the first times I remember seeing her. I watched that after Boomerang and was like, yeah. holy shit, she's actually awesome at acting. Yeah, she's really good. Like I said, we can talk about Jungle Fever for a while, but I think you should go back and listen to our Spike Lee episode on Jungle Fever. We do a lot about it, and it's not a huge role, but she's really good She in kills in it. She's yes. great. I think we'll talk about this a lot in her career, but it's like astounding how good of an actress she is, how amazing of an actress she is. But so often, well, okay, <laughs> she's put into things. We rarely, like, rehearse or do any prep for this show. I barely We just record. Yes. This is, yeah. We're like ZZ Top. We do exactly. not talk until. We come in from different sides of the apartment. <laughs> Brian has to go, what do you guys want to drink? Are we okay to record? Is this okay? I have a knife. Like, we get it, Brian. <laughs> you have a lot of knives. But Alex and I were talking, and I said, Halle Berry is incredible. She's not a parrot the way you described famous anti-vaxxer and not going to wear a mask, Bruce Willis. But if she has a good director and she has good material, she will crush it. Yes. But if you put her in a movie where she has to fight Sharon Stone at the end of it as a crime-fighting cat woman. Sorry. She's not like Heathcliff or something. Uh, Which I would watch that. I would watch that. It'd be so much better than the cat woman. But, like... 
she's only as good as the material. She yes. has to do something. Like she's in all this shit. And then you put her in John Wick three mm. where she gets to play a fucking badass. Yes. And she's cool again. I couldn't have said it better. It's absolutely the truth. I have this feeling all the time where I'm like, eventually Halle Berry will get put in another good thing and she will be awesome in it. Yeah. She's one of those people who it's not like Cuba Gooding Jr. or people who've won Oscars who are like, you're never getting another Oscar. No. Like Halle Berry. She's going to win another one. Yeah, absolutely. She's young. Yes. And as she gets older, who knows? She works with a cool director or whatever or writes her own thing. And it wouldn't surprise me in any way if she had another world beating performance. But it really kind of opens up her career because in 1992, she is with Eddie Murphy in the movie Boomerang, which also, if you listen to our Eddie Murphy episode, do you like the movie Boomerang, Nick? I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I feel the same way. I rented it on VHS for Blockbuster. I watched it. I was like, okay. This is what I remember from Boomerang. Yes. This is literally the part of the movie where I was like, I don't like this movie anymore. He has like a weird sex scene and like he's about to finish. He does some weird thing. And I was like. This is terrible. (laughs) Also, I remember like the character, it was a very 90s thing. He's a chauvinist. Yeah. Right. And he's a jerk to women. But if he meets the right woman, well, it changes his opinion. Yeah. Like he respects women after that. Like, no, a weird thing. Even as a kid, I was like, that's not how that works. That's That's very strange. You can tell this is the early part of her career because like she's the girlfriend who gets killed Mm -hmm. and then the guy has to do something. That's like a big movie trope. And then you have the <laughs> shitty male and she's the person who has to go in and fix him. And that's another terrible movie trope for women. And she's just knocking them all out. And as she goes along, like she's not as good in anything yet as she was in fucking jungle fever, mm-hmm. but she's going through the routine to get to the point where she's Halle Berry. Absolutely. And as you said, even in her stuff, they don't mention the last boy scout. That's literally, we know why would anybody, (laughs) she's in a lot of stuff that like doesn't get mentioned again. She's in a lot of movies in the nineties that are just kind of, but the big thing is she's actually in a TV movie called queen, the story of an American family in which she is a biracial slave and she crushes it. She gets nominated for an Emmy. And once again, it kind of expands her career. Then she's, going to be in a huge movie, a huge summer blockbuster, her first summer blockbuster. Also, like I said, I'm kind of going through this. So if any of these movies yeah. pop out, what year are we at? Where are we right now? We're in the, like the, are you gonna bring up the Flintstones. I was about to. Okay. <laughs> we can talk about anything you want with Halle Berry. We're in the, yeah. any of her crazy ass early. Cause let's, mid-90s. let's face it. There's a whole period of bullshit. She makes mm-hmm. between John wick three. And I don't even know where I did not see anything. I would actually watch one of her movies in a little bit. Yeah. We're going to front load this episode. <laughs> and at the end of the episode, it's just going to be Brian going, are you done? <laughs> have you, I have, have a knife. Have you guys done enough? Have you done enough? Yeah. It's called Fatherhood. Ooh. With Patrick Swayze. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything about this movie, but I remember it being really dumb and me watching it like six times on Showtime. Like whatever was on, I was like, well, I'm an indoor kid. I'm going to watch this. I got to tell you, I have never seen Fatherhood starring Halle Berry and Patrick Swayze. Yeah. So I don't know. All time a- crook Jack Charles. Portrayed by Patrick Swayze. <laughs> RP. He's like in a home. His wife dies. He gets his kids out. They do all these shenanigans. Halle Berry's in it. I didn't even read the whole fucking thing. <laughs> it's just, I wanted to bring it up. Even now, like, it doesn't matter. Even Halle Berry, if you were like, you remember Fatherhood starring Patrick Swayze? She's like, Oh, yeah. Someone with Steve Martin. 
I mean, I don't know. Is there any other like early nineties? Because the fact that she is about to be in a huge summer blockbuster, a movie that we have to, I don't know if we're ever really going to bring this up again, but if you were not alive children for when this happened, Hollywood pulled out all the stops for a live action version of the Flintstones. Okay. And there were Taco Bell collector's cups. Maybe not Taco Bell. I think they were straight up McDonald's. McDonald's collector's cups. I think it was Burger King. Maybe. But either way. There were cups. There were cups. There were toys. I mean, John Goodman, Rick Moranis, Rosie O'Donnell, Elizabeth Perkins. For you younger listeners and you older listeners that don't remember, Rosie O'Donnell used to be a pull. (laughs) She used to to draw money. Yes. Yeah. People would be like, oh, Rosie O'Donnell's in this. She's got those swish balls. (laughs) Swish balls. <laughs> also, Kyle McLaughlin is the bad guy. This makes Rick Moranis stop acting for a long time. It's directed by Brian Levent, who, guess what? After that, not a lot. Was he the guy from Head of the Class? Yes. He also was from Highland Park, Illinois. So. Yeah, he never did anything good. Yep. It was written by Stephen D'Souza. He wrote Commando, Die Hard, Judge Dredd. So they got him to write. The Flintstones movie. Everybody cashes in. (laughs) She plays Sharon Stone. Do you get it? Do you guys get it? Do you get it? She's very attractive in it and bubbly and fun, but that movie is unwatchable garbage. Isn't one of the shitty Baldwin's in that? I'm sure. He was in the sequel. Brian Taps is correct. Holy shit. There was a sequel? Yeah, at least two. What a nightmare. I mean, honestly, the Flintstones movie. Holy shit, bro. This is the first of her being in stuff that she is too good for, but man, I get paychecks and shit. And also, I get the element that, like, especially when you're a young actor, like Halle Berry was at the time, you're coming up. Universal is putting all their money. This is Universal's blockbuster summer release, okay? This is what they are doing for... 1994. It comes out May 27th. This is front loaded. This is not late summer. This is May 27th. This is like the weekend where schools get out. This is gonna do it. And to be fair, though, the budget was $46 million. How much money do you think Flintstones made? $200 million. $342 million. It was a... I quit the podcast. It was a... I want to go live in a well. Nothing fucking matters. It was a... The society is bullshit <laughs> garbage. Shut it down. It's over. Oh. Fuck you, 1994. Fuck you, America. Dude, also, it was McDonald's. It was a McDonald's tie-in. It was God the big dog. It. Like, Universal put their whole damn budget into it, and even though it was annihilated by critics. It still made an absurd amount of money and in a way created the world we have now of every television show that ever existed got a shot yeah, at just being inter- intellectual properties they own just yes. being turned into people taking a shit on fucking celluloid and people going, oh, I love shit. <laughs> I have the McDonald's collector cup. Now I see movie with collector cup in it. Uh-huh. I get to vote as many times as you. And then so, fucking 20 years later, these assholes kids are like, oh, look at fun in my mom's basement. Let's watch it because it's we're ironic. Fuck you two. <laughs> fucking hipsters. <laughs> wearing your fucking Flintstones t-shirts. Get a flawful somewhere else. Everyone just in America is just always talking about the Flintstones. So it's just everyone's just yeah. like, man, the Flintstones. What if I got to see more of the Flintstones? Also, real fast though, just the fact there was a black person in a Flintstones thing at all. Is groundbreaking. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Oh, they definitely knew what they were doing where they were like, yeah. we have to have one black person in it. Let's like, make her the villain. <laughs> also, she should be attractive. That's yeah. Weird. What if she's like the hottest person alive? <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> Nailed it. Flintstones makes a preposterous amount of money and she's in it. Granted, she's a smaller role, but after that, she makes a movie called Losing Isaiah in 1995. Real fast. Yeah. Just for the record, I've never seen the whole thing. Oh. Of the Flintstones. Oh, of the Flintstones? Yeah. I saw it in the theater, and I don't think I saw all of it, because yeah. I just, I blanked out. Even as a kid, I wanted to see it. And you know me, I am the goober audience. I go to McDonald's, particularly back then, and I, just as a, already a Hollywood nerd, knew I was like, anytime the big studios put out their big summer movie, this is pre-internet. This is pre, we got jack shit to do, okay? If you put out Independence Day, I'm going to see it, okay? Yeah. You put out- You realize it, on our, on the Reddit page about us, they just call you Collector's Cup. That's fine. That is absolutely fine. Yeah. I. It's fair. It's absolutely yeah. fair because I am a mark. I am an absolute mark. They got me, particularly when I was a kid. If I had the Collector's Cup for fucking stupid ass Godzilla, I would go see it. I would go see it, but I at least wasn't a rube when I saw the movie. And no, if no, it no. sucked. I just sat there inside the entire time. You like, were you were uh, a victim of advertising, yes. but you still judge the films properly. Correct. I thank you. You know what my name is on the Reddit page? Hmm. Stream of unconsciousness. <laughs> this is why we're a good team. This is why we're a good team. But Losing Isaiah, a little bit different of tone than the Flintstones movie. It's directed by Stephen Gyllenhaal, who is the patriarch of the Gyllenhaal twins who have taken over the world. It is based on the novel by Seth Margolis. It's written by Naomi Foner Gyllenhaal, the matriarch of the Gyllenhaal twins. And have you ever seen Losing Isaiah? Because it is a very good movie, but it is brutal to watch. Yeah. It is one of the more seen it once. She's fucking fantastic in it. Everybody, Jessica Lang, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson, like even Cuba is good in it. And that's not get crazy. I know I just shit on Cuba. Yeah. <laughs> but it's basically a story about how Halle Berry plays an African American crack cocaine addict who abandons her son. Jessica Lang takes the kid. And then Halle Berry gets her life together and then has to fight Jessica Lang to try and get her kid back. And it honestly has a ton of stuff about how messed up races in America and the court system. And if you make mistakes in your life, can you ever redeem yourself or, you know, white guilt, all kinds of crazy shit. When I saw this as a kid, it blew my mind and I definitely cried at the end of it. I bawled when I saw that movie. It is a painful movie. It's one of those movies where I remember the entire movie of Losing Isaiah. I never want to watch it again. No. You know, because <laughs> it is just a, it is a gut punch. Have you seen it? Yeah. No, I saw it as a kid. Like, it was on HBO. Anything that came on HBO that, like, seemed, how do I say this? Cripplingly depressing. <laughs> I was like, I got to watch this. My whole I, life I, is a darker. <laughs> my whole life is one darker. No, this film's great. Like how you said, the performances are great. Yes. I never want to watch it again. I can't say anything else without just like talking mad shit about rich white people. Yeah. There is definitely some like. Yeah. And also that she's on crack. You know, there's a very Here's 90s. The, the movie is they're trying to say something, but they did a lot of things the wrong way. Yes, I agree. If you've never seen it, it's worth a watch. She's really amazing in it. 
And also, we have definitely, I'm sure, people who listen to the show, and as you said, I know people, good friends of mine, who their jam is movies to just make them sad as shit. And, yep, yeah, Taps. And Taps is waving his knife around. Watch yourself some Losing Isaiah, because it's rough. It is. Yeah. <laughs> this is a rough movie to watch. But she's Emotionally, gonna... it's like breaking your ankle. <laughs> it kind of is. After that, she's in a movie called Race the Sun. Uh, oh, I mean, honestly, also, I'm just kind of going through, like, some of her bigger stuff. I want to, okay, Executive Decision was a big movie. Oh, but that's, they're right in the same year. Race the Sun came out just before it in 1996. I only bring it up because the other main actor in it is a man named James Belushi. And the movie, now, I have to bring this movie up because it's one of the stupidest movies I've ever seen, <laughs> in which it is about Koahena High School in Hawaii, who finished 18th in the 1990 World Solar Challenge. Oh, my God. I remember this movie now. <laughs> it's real Holy stupid. shit. The guy who directed it, Charles T. Kangaius. Kangaius. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. No, he and, shouldn't. And uh, Kang- Kangaius. Sorry. Casey Affleck did it as a child. Eliza Dushku. And Jim Belushi. Hey, you guys remember my brother? Can I have a career? Guess, man. Yeah, that's right. Also, I love the Wikipedia page for Kevin Teej, who's in the movie. Yeah. Kevin Teej is an American actor. It's all says. <laughs> Dude, I love some of these, like, bad movie ones where it's just, like, I have a Wikipedia page, technically. Kevin Teej has a Wikipedia page. Technically. <laughs> so, yeah. I just wanted to bring that up. Then, yes, also in 1996. She's oh, a- my God. I never knew this. The guy who directed uh, Executive Decision. Guess what other Halle Berry movie he directed? Ooh, I don't know. You tell me. The I have Last a Boy Scout. <laughs> what to, a shit show. Way to bounce back, though, No, Stuart actually, Pitt. never mind. He worked on it. Oh, he Tony worked. Tony Scott directed Tony, it. That's what oh, I thought. Yeah, I was about to say. I was, I was like, like, that's like, such a weird fucking thing. Yeah, it took me a second. I was like, wait a minute. Didn't that British asshole who, yeah. who also loved cocaine and Joel Silver? Cocaine. No, <laughs> I love Executive Decision. And I want to tell you why. Oh, please. Because in all the trailers and all the shit and the commercials leading up to it, it was you have Snake Plissken in a tuxedo mm-hmm. playing a nerd. <laughs> and then he's glasses. He's got glasses. He's a nerd. <laughs> Plus, he's got both of his eyes. So is, he's a nerd. That is true. If Kurt Russell has both of his eyes, he's a nerd. Good call. And then. <laughs> and isn't wearing a tool belt. Exactly. <laughs> if you can't see his nipples and he's got two eyes, discredit him as a cool character. He's a nerd. But the whole movie was, it's him, it's John Leguizamo, and Steven Seagal using a stealth bomber. Because remember, this is 96. You had Broken Arrow. Mm-hmm. All these other movies like, oh, it's a stealth plane. We got to put it in all the movies. It's going to be the rage. Yeah. Can't wait. Fucking bomb Africa. Anyways, <laughs> such a good idea, guys. Let's just fucking jerk off to this plane. Anyways, so you have this thing, and then they use it to go into a 747 hijacked, guess for this surprise, by brown people. So they have these Arab hijackers. They're trying to steal America. They're trying to steal America. They use some fucking pneumatic tube to, like, slide <laughs> oh, into yeah. the airplane, oh, into yeah. the luggage compartment. They're also, like, this is just has money in it and a bank slip. Yeah. So <laughs> the whole thing is, like, it's Kurt Russell. It's Steven Seagal. They're fighting oh, stereotypical yeah. terrorists. It's executive decision. Steven Seagal dies in the first 15 minutes. It's amazing. It's the best. He gets sucked out of a plane. Yes. Straight up. He goes flying like fucking Gumby. (laughs) 
It's so it's good. It's so good. I will give them that. It is a real doofy ass movie. Yeah. But that first act twist is it's solid. Genius. For your second build, other action star in kind of still <laughs> in the height of his yeah. being Steven Seagalness to just. Oh, he's dead. Yeah. Now. Like Deadsville, USA. That's the, cra- like, that's the craziest bit is because you're like, oh, that fat computer guy, Oliver Platt, he won't survive. <laughs> oh, he makes the whole movie. Yes. But Steven Seagal, Mr. Under Siege 2, <laughs> he survives Under Siege 2, and they go, let's put him in Under Siege, but it's on a plane. Okay, and then we just throw him out into the air. When does the Harrison Ford one come out? Uh, Air Force Air One Force. is like 96 or 98. Right. Okay, so it's after that. Yeah. But this is still all like the president is fighting a guy on a plane, and he's like, get off my plane, but he doesn't say that. I don't <laughs> says, think the president's on this plane, is he? It's the executive decision. Isn't Kurt Russell the president? No. Isn't he President Kurt Russell? No. He's playing himself? No. In real time? No. No, I think you're right. Yeah. But why would it be called executive decision? Because they, if they don't do something <laughs> in this time, they're going to blow up the plane from the ground. I saw this movie in like the $1.50 movie theater. And as soon as Steven Seagal got sucked out of the plane... I was like, oh, yeah. And then yeah. I sort of blacked out for the rest of it. Because nothing kind of... else exciting happens. <laughs> it's Passenger 57 without Wesley Snipes. Ooh, good call. Or like... Air Force One without all the ridiculousness. Yeah. <laughs> without Gary Oldman just chewing on scenery, just biting things and saying, da, I am the Russian guy now. You like this American pig dog? Like, yeah. <laughs> like holy shit. I know he doesn't say it in this movie, but all of his lines are delivered the same way. He says... Like from the scene in professionally, it's like everyone, every line is that way. That, oh, yes. I said at the beginning of the episode and I didn't mean it, but I'm just making Brian's jobs harder. I agree with you entirely. I kind of remember Halle Berry in that movie. She's she like, was the good. Dam- she's like the damsel in distress. No, she it. helps them. She, right. She's a flight attendant. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. But like, she's like, that's also a 90s trope of like female characters. There's like the action star guy. And then there's yeah. the woman character who's tougher than she thinks. Okay. She thought she was just a woman. Okay. But actually when hanging out with Kurt Russell or insert action star here, she's tougher than that. She'll punch the bad guy at the end. One of them. You know what I'm saying? Cause she's learned a lesson that if you hang out with Kurt Russell, you also can beat up terrorists. I don't, I'm not entirely sure. If you would have told me you read that directly off the back of the box of this for the VHS, <laughs> I wouldn't have known. I'm just saying we, we didn't. We watched Under Siege and what's her face from Baywatch is in it. And that's what happens with her. Not Yasmin Bleeth. The other one who's not Yasmin Bleeth. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The Alex one who, spent 20 minutes going, the, I lo- that's Yasmin Bleeth. And the, I, was like, I literally no, thought, because I liked that actress and thought that was Yasmin Bleeth. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was the other one. But that's her plot line too. It's yeah, like, no. She's the stripper who gets drugged and stays mm-hmm. in the cake and then wakes up. Just so that Steven Seagal can see some bare breasts. Yes. And then she joins him. This was also his idea. Because I looked this up on the fucking uh, (laughs) Wikipedia page. He wanted some comic relief while he went around killing all these guys. Because the death count in this movie is like 155. (laughs) There are a lot of people It's insane. But he's like, we need some comic relief. Let's get this stripper in here. And then by the end of the movie, she'll kill the bad guys. She'll learn a lesson about how to be tough. It's also Bruce Willis. I know. It's, <laughs> it's too much. She's better than that. She is better than that. But executive decision makes a lot of money. Also, we should say in the late 90s, she becomes the spokesperson for Revlon and was the Revlon spokesperson for like 
a decade. And I mean, I don't usually make such bold statements on the podcast, but mm-hmm. I, I'm going to do it. Halle Berry is attractive. She is a very attractive yes. lady. That is absolutely true. I think her bone structure. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> After that, she stars alongside Natalie DeSell Reed in the 1997 comedy BAPS. I don't know what that is. Black American princesses. Ooh, that actually sounds fun. Uh, Martin Landau's in it, fresh off of Ed Wood. Cool. Because he's take he after Ed Wood, he took every job he can get because he was like hot, you know. It's like yeah. Oh, Martin Landau. Also, Martin Townsend, man. I mean, Martin Townsend has some weird stuff, but yeah, that's wild. Okay, I'll watch that. I've I'm- seen it. I don't remember most of it. She's I don't know how to say it. Like Uh-oh. she's got like long fingernails. She's got mm-hmm. a bunch of jewelry, like fake teeth and shit. And she's trying to be something she can't. She's doing like an in living color character. Sort of. Yeah. It doesn't work because she's Halle Berry mm-hmm. and she's Halle Berry. Yeah. She has good bone structure, <laughs> but she is funny in it. Okay. I'll watch BAPS. I have not seen it. But I'll check it out. But in 1998, I do remember this. I saw it in the theater. I enjoyed it. It is a very strange, but very insane movie in which she plays uh activist who goes and helps a bizarre politician played by Warren Beatty in a movie called Bullworth. Love this movie. It is a insane, wild-ass movie. It launched a lot of people's careers. I think it's the first time I remember Don Cheadle, Isaiah Washington. If you've never seen Bullworth, I haven't seen it in a while. I would actually watch that again. Yeah. I'm very curious as to how it stands up. I probably haven't seen it in like 10, 15 years. The parts that I remember stand up in my mind just because it's like, I remember he... Puts a hit out on himself. So he just decides to go, fuck it. And starts doing all this shit in the press where it's like, he's like, look, people, I'm just going to say it. Socialism. And everyone (laughs) loses their shit. I really like this movie. She's great in it. Warren Beatty's great. I forgot, like, I'm going to point that Warren Beatty could still act. Uh, yeah, everybody did. This yeah. was a big revival is, yeah. for him. He got this nominated for Best Actor. I mean, this was a huge revival. Everyone had forgotten about him. Also, for him to appear in this, he's at one part rapping, but I have to say it's fully self-aware. It yes. is fully satire that he looks like a giant moron yeah, doing that's this. The point. It is, it was a heat wave. It was ahead of its time. That song, Ghetto Superstar, is mm-hmm. from the soundtrack that movie is that song has never stopped being on the radio. It's a great since nineteen ninety eight. It's a great song, yeah. even if it is directly stealing that song that Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. <laughs> but yeah. it's still a great song. It's still a great song. Who cares about Kenny Rogers? <laughs> Eat that Kenny Rogers. Yeah. You like that? Kenny Rogers Wolfs. Um, Dolly Parton, we love you. Yes, very true. It's, I also work nine to five. Also, Ennio Marconi did the music for Yeah. <laughs> it's so like No, Bullworth is a fucking Hit. It is a great movie. She's great in it. She's hilarious. She is, again, she got a fucking meaty part, and she ran with it. In Time Out New York, Andrew Johnston, who is a critic I like, he said, more than anything else, Bullworth is descended from the Preston Sturge's topical farces of the 40s, which juxtaposes a deep belief in the promise of America with irreverent attacks on the hypocrisy of institutions. And I was like, even as a kid who, because I was just starting to really sort of understand politics and things, and this felt interesting to me. This felt like, as mass media expanded, a lot of the stuff that politicians did, you know, Bill Clinton playing the saxophone, oh, I'm your best friend, and just everybody that, the whole sort of fake 
I'm on TV being cool for the kids, right or left. Everyone's a fake piece of shit. And this movie just lampooned them, just said, threw paint on them. It was exactly. like, you guys are assholes. And I adored it. I thought it was, a, I laughed my balls off when I saw it. I thought it was great. Also, Halle Berry said, Warren Beatty knows power, if not the ghetto. And this movie is effectively precisely because it takes on the issue of power. I kept going back and to the script because I'm amazed by a movie this overtly left-wing, fearless, and eccentric. Bullworth isn't about race alone. More specifically, it's about racism's intersection with America's deep and growing class divide. Yeah. And I was like, shit. Like, she knows it's up. Yeah, for real. Like, also, like, that's the kind of shit Halle Berry says outside of movies. Just like, yeah, on the cuff. <laughs> yeah, just like, that's how her brain works when she's reading a script. And then she's also like, Hmm, Catwoman. That's a no, okay. So okay. So this is probably the real thing. <laughs> yes. If she could connect to a part personally, mm-hmm. she destroys it. If it's something that she can't relate to, right? She's gonna figure out how to do it, and she'll be good. But the movie is gonna be shit. Also, I'm sure, just like a lot of people, and probably that I'm sure she read a script, told her agent, "That's a dumb script. I don't want to do it." And then the agent goes, "They want to pay you X amount of dollars." And yeah. She goes, "I'll do it." Yeah. <laughs> She's I'm sorry. To- I'm sorry. What did you just say? Like, they'll give you $12 million. Okay, fine. I'll buy a beach house. Whatever. I'll hang out for two months doing whatever yeah. dumb shit they want me to do. After that, she's still coming off of the success of Bullworth in 1998. She is in the biop of Zola Taylor called Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Did you ever see that, Nick? I did. What did you think? I don't remember a goddamn thing about it. <laughs> it's Okay. She plays a lot of, like, uh, biop pictures, particularly an HBO biop, which you might have seen in 1999, which I definitely saw called Introducing Dorothy Dandridge, in which she portrayed the first African-American woman to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actress. Possible little interesting precursor. She co-produced it. She fought for the script. She made sure that it happened. And her performance in it got her a Primetime Emmy Award and a Golden Globe Award. Yeah. What do you think of introducing Dorothy Dandridge? Love this movie. Yeah, agreed. It is amazing. Martha Coolidge directed it. Oh yeah. She did "If These Walls Could Talk" too, and mm-hmm. "Valley Girl," and oh, yeah, "Valley Girl." The music by Elmer Bernstein, who mm-hmm. knew Dorothy Dandridge. This is going to be real high on my wall. Nice. I love this movie. I remember watching it when it came out on HBO, like it premiered on like a Saturday night, did their whole thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was just like watching. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I was fucking blown away. <laughs> this movie is so goddamn good. It's so. She is perfect in this movie. She is powerful. And it's also just like Bullworth and like all the other movies before this that she was in that were good. It says something about race. It says something about Hollywood. It says something about fucking being a woman it is a good fucking movie it is a goddamn gut punch yeah it is but it's so good the tagline for the movie is right woman right place wrong time yeah and it is such a it makes a lot of sense why hollywood didn't necessarily want to make it as like a release in theaters movie because it's kind of a ninja kick to the nuts of hollywood's history and to uh, no one's surprise, Hollywood hates being criticized. <laughs> Weird, particularly when they are told that they're super racist. Yeah. Which I'm not going to like defend it at all, but Hollywood is a very weird, weird thing. Anytime you have a weird art culture, my only opinion I will ever say on this is that Hollywood, much like any art culture, is more of a mirror of the culture that it is 
if people are going to see the movies, they wouldn't make them. And I have a theory that Hollywood wouldn't be racist if America wasn't racist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And just as what is happening now, if Black Panther makes a bunch of movies, they'll make a bunch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hollywood isn't actually like as doctrine, like we're racist. They are just. Well, it might have been in the 30s. Uh, yeah, that's very. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. We weren't around then. Shit was yes, bad then. That is true. That From is, what I've heard yes. and read and seen. Yes. Like, I will, <laughs> I will also say the same thing. Yes. Like, Hollywood just wants to put out what America wants to right. see. But in the 30s, America didn't want to see black people in diners. So yeah. it's very good chance <laughs> Hollywood was racist as fuck. Yes. And also they, particularly with someone like Dorothy Dandridge, that she was such an amazing actress. There's all kinds of political, like, it, which I love in that movie, the political element of it, yeah. of that within Hollywood, famous actors, whether they be male or female, turns out they don't want other people fucking with their shit. And there's an almost gangster-like level where if someone else shows up who's going to try and steal their shit, they might try to fuck you over so you don't get their stuff. And I love the way that it's portrayed in that movie because it's it's some hard-hitting shit about Hollywood that you don't normally see. And I don't think I've ever seen a movie that is as concise and cool about the 1930s in Hollywood as Dorothy Dandridge. So I agree. I think that movie is awesome. And I also think that's definitely one that a hundred percent is a movie that people sort of forget about that she made and shouldn't forget about. After that though, she is now going to be in a summer Hollywood blockbuster franchise that actually does make an absurd amount of money. And I will not get too nerdy on it, but if you don't already know, and I think a lot of people maybe only know her as this, she becomes Storm, Aurora Monroe in the X-Men movies, which she was in all 36 X-Men movies as Storm, particularly X-Men, X2, X-Men Last Stand, my personal favorite, X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah. But yeah. She really had her weird accent in the first one, though. That is true. Yeah. Because <laughs> they then... Like, they yeah, we love you, but... What are you doing? What is happening? <laughs> what is sound like a short order cook. <laughs> well, so you're supposed to be African. We're not entirely like it's uh, right. Storm yeah. is an awesome character. I always wished that in the X-Men movies, they would go more into storm storylines that were from the comic books, which are really cool, which are that storm was this character who for years was kind of almost a god. She grew up in Africa, kind of in the Sahara Delta, and was regarded as a god because of her powers and that she could bring storms and rain and prosperity to her local community. And so she was different than a lot of mutants who were ostracized and attacked. She almost became kind of a empress of her community. And so she had a really kind of interesting, different attitude than a lot of the other X-Men because she was already a leader and was already this sort of regal character. So I always wish they would have a little more of that, but she is a very good Storm. She's a very good Storm. She looks cool. What do you think of her as Storm in the X-Men movies, Nick? Oh, uh, in the first, the second, and last stand, she's great. Yeah. Nobody's good in X3. <laughs> no. Everything Brett Radner touches turns into shit and then a lawsuit. <laughs> uh, no, she's really cool in this. I was surprised she was in these. And then when I saw her, I was like, oh, she's pretty badass. Hell yeah. I have to say, as an X-Men nerd, I cringed a lot watching the first X-Men movie. 
X2 was great. It was better than the first one. It was one. definitely better. Yeah. That's for sure. There's still some cringy shit in there. There's some like, it's less about the character development in those ones, but in the early 2000s, because of the Matrix and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, there was so much flying in the air, fighting, and it just permeated into everything. And I just felt that it just made things. The, when Wolverine would fight people, there was so much flying in the air, fighting or anybody. And it just, I felt it just was cheesy as shit. And I still feel that it's cheesy as shit. And I just felt that Days of Future Past finally had gotten past all of that. And they were like, we're not going to do any of that cheesy ass shit. We're going to make actually interesting, actually convoluted, complex characters with complex storylines. But this isn't the X-Men episode. She's cool. She's Storm. It's one of those things where it's like Leonard Nimoy said, if you can get one character, (laughs) if you can just get one character that people give a shit about, that's more than the vast majority of actors who've ever fucking lived. And she is Storm, and that's badass. So we can have an X-Men episode at some point. But then, like I said, we just kind of went over the X-Men episodes, X-Men episodes, I mean, kind of the X-Men movies. We could just sit here and talk about X-Men movies, but I don't want to. I don't want to. And ever. But in 2001, after X, the first X-Men movie. Oh, man. This is her, her brush with a man named John Travolta in a Dominic Cena written by Skip Woods, produced by Joel Silver, in which... She shows her tatas, which she demanded an extra $200,000 to show her boobs, which, hey, man, if you want to pay me. She should ask for more. I know, but it's like, if you want to see my dong for $200,000, I'll fucking whip it out wherever, whenever. I don't give a shit, okay? No one's paying anybody, <laughs> any man that's either ever. But, uh, yeah, it's a movie called Swordfish. Yikes. In which a computer hacker is targeted for recruitment into a bank robbery conspiracy because of his formidable hacking skills. He's Wolverine, and also Don Cheadle is there. And John Travolta wearing a wig. John Travolta wearing a wig with facial hair like the guy from Disturbed. (laughs) I hate this movie (laughs) so much. I have never seen it since I saw it on HBO. It's like... The relationship I have with HBO, it gives me so many good things, but every once in a while, it makes me just want to set myself on fucking fire. It's like Old Testament God. <laughs> sure. I give so much and then smites you. <laughs> I know with the Catholic school, but I didn't pay attention. But um, Swordfish is dog shit. Just straight dog <laughs> shit. Trash. Malarkey. I gotta say, I tried to watch it recently for this episode. And still to this day, I don't know what the hell the ending is. I don't know what it is. I feel like... It's one of those ones where sometimes movies, particularly Village Roadshow, does this shit. Goddamn Joel Silver. Where they're like, it's a twist. And they play the music like it's a twist. And then they show a flashback as though it's a twist, like you'll get it. Don't get it. Yeah. Don't. I am good. I am one of those audience members. You don't have to tell me shit. Yeah. I figured out Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Okay. Oh, I figured out Kaiser Soze in the opening movies. Yes. I figured out who the killer was. In Scream 2 by reading by just reading the cast list. Brian Singer. No. <laughs> it was Lori Metcalf. But with this movie, here's the thing. Yeah. Saw the ending. Didn't remember it as I was watching it because I could not care less by that point. Have no idea what the ending is now. Don't care again. Don't care. Don't care. Don't give a shit. To her testament, though, I'm not being misogynistic. There was a lot of people who went to see because they literally heard that you got to see Halle Berry's boobs. Yeah. 
And they were this like, was what, 2001? <gasps> yeah. Everybody had dial-up. <laughs> They're going to have to wait like 10 years before yeah. they can go on the internet and see Holly Berry's boobs. <laughs> it's like, oh, I could pay $8 because it's 2001. <laughs> exactly. I could pay $8, forget about 9-11, and get away from my family for two hours? Yes, yes. And it's air-conditioned? Holy shit. <laughs> it's also, the budget was 102 million dollars where did it go where did it all led to travolta's wigs 50 million dollars to travolta's wigs you know in 2001 he was still making 20 million dollars a picture oh, oh that pains me physically yeah. that literally put physical you know he got paid painted me. i'm not gonna go on a john travolta rant here but what he made 20 million dollars to make michael <sighs> about the angel who yeah wears- brian Tepps just threw up in the back of his mouth <laughs> an angel who wears overalls Cool. The box office, it costs $102 million. Any guesses on the box office? It's not as successful as the Flintstones. If it made $103 million, I'd be pissed off. It made $147 million. All right. I'm not that angry. It's like, uh, yeah. okay. It's literally just a bunch <laughs> of men going, oh, really? Yeah. Oh. One for swordfish, please. <laughs> that is a very good way of putting it. Yeah. And let's not forget there's the lesbians. Oh, sure. The cornball let's lesbians. Let's not forget the lesbians. Yeah, That's I apologize, so lesbians. But let's not forget them. Yeah. Also, I just associate men with being creeps. Also, Dominic Cena. And Desperate. Who directed that, directed California with a K, Gone in 60 Seconds, and Swordfish. He also directed uh, music videos for Brian Adams. Well, so. two out of four ain't bad. Great job. California, I didn't really like, but I like Juliette Lewis and Brad Pitt. Agreed. Gone in 60 Seconds. Is terrible. It is terrible. I hate Brian Adams. I guess it's one out of four. And I didn't really like California. It's over. Going in 60 seconds, I have to say though, it's cage caging out. It's entertaining. It's an entertaining movie. But it's a dumb movie. Yeah. Timothy Olyphant. Yeah, I love okay. It's a fun movie, but it is very stupid. Brian Tapps. You can't use Timothy Olyphant against us in anything because Timothy Olyphant is a national treasure. That is absolutely true. He's a saint. I would watch that man go grocery shopping because I guarantee. It's funnier and more entertaining and has more high-octane action than Swordfish. <laughs> Definitely than Swordfish. Timothy Olyphant is a curse upon himself because he is in bad <laughs> movies. And you watch it, and it's like, I like Timothy Olyphant, but that movie is terrible. Also, I have to put something out here on Swordfish because this is 2001, so yeah. also for the children who don't know that this was happening. The music was done by Paul Oakenfold. So if you don't know what that is, Paul Oakenfold was like, I do remixes. Also, he's British. He's like, I do remixes yeah. of you too and Madonna. Wicka, wicka, wicka. Oh, 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 yeah. I put a beat behind it. It's like, and literally the soundtrack to Swordfish is so much wicka, wicka. Like, what day, what day was Swordfish released? It was released on June 8th, 2001, a summer yeah. blockbuster movie. I'm pretty sure the soundtrack to Swordfish is why 9-11 happened. Also, it's Warner Brothers. I got to put this out here, okay? A lot of times. A lot of times when a movie is real stupid, it's Warner Brothers. A lot of times when a movie is really insane, it's 20th Century Fox. (laughs) R.I.P. A lot of times when it's just classy old Hollywood, it's Universal. It's just sort of- Like that Calvin Hobbes movie with the rock and that bald fuck. (laughs) Like the Flintstones. It's not actually called Calvin Hobbes. I don't know what the name is, though. It is Hobbes. Oh, yeah. Hobbes and Shaw. Hobbes and Shaw. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those movies print money, though. It didn't make a billion dollars. It failed. Vin Diesel was right. Fuck you, Vin Diesel. If anyone's ever fucking fallen dick first into- 
a career that they didn't deserve, it's him and James Belushi. Mm-hmm. And I would love to use one of them to beat Good the other call. one to death. Absolutely. If there's anyone of all the A-list movie stars who has like almost like zero F- talent. Yes. Like point one percent battery life of yeah. talent. It's fucking La Familia. I'm into Marvel movies because I say one line over and over yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. Vin Diesel is an old, like, pink Razor phone with 1% <laughs> battery life and no reception. But people go, oh, it's a Razor phone. I remember when I had that. I don't get it. I don't get it. Even Stallone. Uh, uh, when people make comparisons to Stallone, I'm like, Stallone has Stallone some wrote talent. Rocky. Yes. He made Copland. Copland's good. There's a thing about Stallone where some of it, even like his crazier Rambo movies, it's like, this guy's going nuts. There's something watchable about this guy. He understands how movies are supposed to look and how plots are supposed to go forward. Even if they're dumb plots, because we've seen Take on Cash, there is a plot. Yes. When the plot of your movie is, we're going to take a fucking, I don't know how... uh, Yeah, you can't even say it. You don't even know what it is because that's how stupid it is. Exactly. I was going to say, like, you take a, like, a Polish sports car <laughs> and you tie it to a bank vault. <laughs> and then you know, that's the whole famous, movie. Famous Polish sports brands. I'm going off of pe- I'm going off the people who drive them down Archer on the south side. <laughs> okay. They're all driving Japanese cars. Yeah. Yes. When you take a Honda, put ground effects on it, and a giant muffler, and then race Paul Walker. Yeah. That's a billion-dollar franchise <laughs> yes. that moves to Rio de Janeiro and ties up this fucking Honda. I've seen Hondas not be able to get out of fucking snow, <laughs> but you're telling me this piece of shit car is dragging a bank vault the size of this apartment down the street? It's just murdering people. Just murdering. It kills more people than... It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. But okay, 2001 is a very interesting year for Halle Berry because they're swordfish, right? But then also in 2001, she appears as Letitia Musgrove, the troubled wife of an executed murderer, the 2001 feature film Monsters Ball, directed by Mark Forster, who directed Finding Neverland, Stranger Than Fiction, Kite Runner, Quantum of Salt. Like, what do you think of Monsters Ball, Nick? Kind of hate it. Really? Yeah. I I am not a fan of Billy Bob. I'm not a fan of Billy Bob playing a racist character, which happens more often than you remember, probably. <laughs> I don't care. She's great. Yeah. This is a good movie. He's I just don't man. give a Fuck. Heath was great in it. Heath was Heath was the second best part. Yeah. I also don't want to watch for any reason Billy Bob and Halle Berry have sex. Oh my god. Like it's a good movie. Mm. I feel like you're not supposed to like it. Interesting. I watched it with a bunch of other college kids in a dorm room on DVD because it was coming out right around that time. And uh we all sat there, watched that movie, and uh, it's kind of a weird, powerful movie. It affected me, spoiler alert, when Heath Ledger shoots himself in the heart. Fuck. Takes a gun and shoots himself in the heart because his dad doesn't love him. And I was like, fucking shit. Yeah. And that's the opening 15 minutes. And then Billy Bob and Halle Berry get together because they're both these weird, convoluted characters who have these terrible tragedies. And... Yeah, she's great in it, and we should say she wins Best Actress the first. She deserves it absolutely. She's the and she's amazing. She's the first woman of color to win Best Actress. Yeah, I mean we're talking about fucking Hollywood being racist. Yeah. The Oscars are fucking 
complete bullshit. Yeah, true, true. But, but I don't want to watch this movie ever again. No, I kind of agree with that. But I mean, I also have to say that it's a very well executed movie as well. Yeah, no, it's, okay. I'm confusing personal feelings for like technical ability, technical ability. Yeah. The movie itself is probably perfect. I just certainly powerful as fuck. Yeah. I don't like it though. No. And that's yeah. totally fair. And yeah. I think that's a lot of, I would make the argument that there's a lot of Oscar movies where that is the case. Yeah. Where there's a lot of really good performances. It's just a lot of hyper painful shit. You watch it and you go, Oh man, I just watched that. That just bummed me the fuck out. I, I mean, literally, Heath Ledger shooting himself in the fucking heart has bummed me out for years. Yeah. For years. I'll randomly remember that at weird moments. Mm-hmm. Like, unrelated to anything. And I'm like, I would just stand there and go, am I depressed? What the fuck's going on? Why am I thinking about that now? Ooh. Like, that's like was a scarring moment. Yes. I've seen people get shot, and it was less of a thing for me than <laughs> fucking Heath Ledger shooting himself in the heart. Well, that's because you were shooting them. So, I mean, that's a little different. Paul, cut that out. <laughs> Watch our B-movie crossover episode. It's interesting because this is not long after the Dorothy Dandridge movie, though. And then she is that. Yeah, first exactly. Which is amazing. American actress like, to win Best Actress. I mean, it's... It's fantastic foreshadowing. Yes. She knew how powerful she was. She knew the career path she wanted. She was like, uh, who was that fat fuck? Babe Ruth? Who, like, called it? Was <laughs> that, that him? It was. Yeah. It was. He called it that fat, <laughs> that fat drunk. That fat drunk. <laughs> it's a wild ass movie. It really is. Yeah, like I would never tell anybody not to watch it. I would just never watch it with them. There's a graphic sex scene with her I and Billy Bob Thornton. Stop. A graphic. It's like it's weird because Billy Bob and Frank Boyle. Yes. They're yes. fucking a pair of racist pieces of shit. Right. But it's like. Oh, a hot black woman, that'll fix me. But there's a little bit of a message of, like, that racism is a bizarre cultural thing in America. And how many people actually believe in it? How many people actually believe this shit versus... 70 million. I don't... uh, Maybe, maybe. But it's an interesting theory of, like, but when confronted, actually, in that same way of how stupid America is, where there's a lot of people who vote for, say, I don't know, racists and things like this, and they think of it culturally as how they think, but then they're friends and their neighbors who they don't see it that way because there's this bizarre disconnect in American culture of the people you actually know. Oh, that's not those people. It's some mysterious people that you've created in your mind who are this great problem because America is this, you know, three card Monty where constantly everyone's being projected all this bizarre cultural bullshit, especially sometimes in art in Hollywood and things where, you're tricked into believing things about other cultures. I mean, how long did it go where, you know, Asian characters were portrayed by white people and they were straight up mega racist caricatures and, and people believed this horseshit. And I did think though, that this movie was interesting in that you portrayed racist characters confronted with their own racism And when confronted, they weren't really as ideologically what they believed themselves to believe, that it's all trauma, it's all bullshit, it's all lies, that people tell themselves for years and years and years. And then when you're actually forced to look at it and be like, are you really, do you really think this? Or were your parents mean to you and you were poor your whole life and you've just been concocting fucking bullshit to rationalize 
And I felt that it was a very powerful movie in that way where it took shit head on. And it's interesting that in her career, she a lot of times takes on things like Bullworth and you know what I'm saying? Like, and Dorothy Dandridge and, and has a lot of interesting things to say with her performances about race in America. And well, I mean, she kind of has to agree. She, that's like, that's the fucked up part is that she has to, because she is a powerful black woman in America and she makes all these amazing movies and then she's stuck in fucking bullshit movies because that's just like what's around. You know what I mean? So <laughs> she's she gotta like, make some money though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She, like she can't. Uh. I would make an argument though that like a movie like Swordfish is more racist really than a movie like Monster's Ball. You know what I'm saying? No, I understand. You made a good point. I also think that movie is a little optimistic. Sure. In the face of complete. But at least it addresses it. Decaying country bullshit I whatever agree. the fuck we are in now but at, least, at least talking about it at least making a movie that brings it up yeah you know? I mean movies bring it up but also it's like I know. I don't want to watch them do that no I agree it's also just ah, it's terribly sad it's a terribly it's sad terribly movie. sad because also spoiler isn't her kid die oh dude everybody dies yeah it's, like, it's fucking brutal like it's a brutal movie and luckily no one dies in real life which is nice that is true the only person who's not going to die is Brian because he's uh, apparently a robot I live vampire. Off of blood. The blood keeps me alive forever. He's always holding that over. Try to head. convince him he's a cyborg. And he's like, no, I'm a robot <laughs> vampire. I'm like, all right, whatever. And then, speedy of racist. After that, she's a Bond girl. She's Giancita Jinx Johnson in the 2002 blockbuster Die Another Day, starring Pierce Brosnan, I think. Yes. In one of the lamer ones. What do you think? Of die another day. Never seen it. It's real stupid. <laughs> I didn't see an entire James Bond movie until you made me watch Casino Royale. That's a good one, though. It is a good one. Yeah. I watched half of, I don't remember. Uh, Goldfinger's a fun it one. It was the one with I, Javier Bardown. Oh, yeah. The uh, Starfall, Quintum, Quintum of Whatever. Taco. It was bad. I, they get ridiculous. Yeah. They they literally and I saw he becomes the, Captain England, and you're like, uh. also she had to cut some of her scenes because she got hit in the face with a smoke grenade <laughs> during Jesus. the filming of that. That made her. They literally had to film around it because she straight up caught shrapnel in her face. So they had to come up with other characters and reshoot the whole thing. Yeah. So it might have been better. I don't know. Kind of like when Tom Cruise realizes he's the shortest guy on set. <laughs> don't you ever bring this up. I only demand actors who are shorter than me. Tom, I don't know if we're going to be able to. <laughs> he just tases them. Uh, <laughs> so also a little thing after she won her Academy Award, her agent got huge rewrites in X2 so that Storm got a lot more screen time. Nice. <laughs> because now she is Academy Award winning actress Halle Berry. But then it's interesting. And I think we should just bring this up a little bit. Winning an Academy Award can go two ways for you in Hollywood. It can go the Jack Nicholson route and you become a superstar. It can go the Adrian Brody route <laughs> or the Cuba Gooding Jr. route. We might have indicted coke ads. Yeah, or worse, where things don't go so hot. Snow dogs. <laughs> Snow dogs, for instance. I am in Snow Dogs. <laughs> and it's interesting. She is still an A-list movie star. She's still making big money, but she definitely tried to do a couple Adrian Brody type things, including a movie in 2003 where she starred opposite of still coked out of his mind, Robert Downey Jr., a Matthew Kasovitz movie called Gothica. First of all, it was heroin. (laughs) 
he liked the whole show. I think. I know he was <laughs> he was sober by then, but he still wasn't making anything good. Interesting. Yeah, you're right because Iron Man is not long after this. Yeah, and because like he made Home for the Holidays, and like Jodie Foster was like, "Dude, you gotta get your fucking shit together." <laughs> yeah, because I'm gonna fucking kill you if you don't fucking just read the lines. What did you think of Gothica, Nick? Are you a big fan of it? Never finished it. That was dumb as shit. It is real stupid. It is real stupid. Also, though, I got to say this. <laughs> Shout out to Charles S. Dutton. Mm-hmm. He is one of my favorite character actors. Absolutely. I will watch part of anything he's in. <laughs> also, I like Penelope Cruz. I love Robert Downey Jr. I mean, I, it's, uh, I tried. I tried. I tried. It's not good. Yeah. Dark- I, speaking of things she's too good to be in. She was in the Limp Biscuit video for their cover of Behind Blue Eyes, which is like, how do you take a song written by a pedo and make it worse? Have <laughs> chocolate starfish. All right. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I'm sorry. I, didn't, I should. It was also wrong. back in that era because they did the uh, Mission Impossible theme for Mission <sighs> Impossible 2. That was like, it's like real yeah, stupid. It was terrible. Real bad. It's like, hey, do you guys not like that Metallica song, I Disappear? Well, ha- <laughs> do we have a shittier song for you? The fact that American culture was like, you know who we should have? Leading the charge, Limp Biscuit. I think that's a good... <laughs> yes, children, that happened also. Yeah. <laughs> also, anytime, occasionally there have been some Shutter Islands and stuff of horror slash psychological thrillers set in mental institutions, but I often find that they very quickly become weird and condescending to people with mental illness and very, like, are they crazy or are they not? Is it in their head or isn't it? Is there go? It's like, I don't know. I feel like this weird mental asylums are spooky. It's like, of all the horror tropes, I don't know. It's the worst. It's kind of the worst. I have mental health issues. I've never been admitted to a mental hospital. Me and Brian aren't here, by the way. You know, you're like the fourth <laughs> fucking person to do that joke to me in the last week, and I'm getting tired of it. And you over there, you shut the fuck up. I mean, this dog can talk. Anyways, uh, I've visited people in them multiple yeah. times. Yes, same. It's way less spooky and more just me like, Sad. is this the last time I'm going to see you? Yeah. Mental asylums are not spooky. No. They're fucking scary. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. I was at one on fucking um, 75th and Stony Island. Jesus Christ. Where like, they literally had a thing that was like, you should not park in this parking lot. And we were up there, and there was this dude in a rocking chair with his feet on the entertainment system, watching Platoon, just rocking back and forth and crying. And I'm like, should he be watching that? And like, he watches it every day. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? I would also make the argument that a good friend of mine in high school literally like became super depressed after his dad died and it got very dangerous. And he went to a mental health facility, right? And I went and visited him and I actually felt that it was very uplifting. It was a little sad, but it was also like, it was good that he was there. He felt better and it wasn't scary. And it was, you yeah. know what I'm saying? It was like, and I understand that healthcare in America is a whole convoluted ass bullshit, but like he was actually a, in a place where people were helping him and he felt better. And it's like the same thing, Hollywood with this bullshit. Like I am not afraid. But also of, it depends on where you go. Also, he it's was, he was a ghost. I should put None that. No, no, it's spooky, but it's also, it's like a lot of them are just like, Here's your room. We'll see you for dinner. Or just now let's go talk about stuff. 
outside of your friend circle, outside of stuff, let's talk. Let's maybe see if maybe some medication might help you. You can take a break from your life for a little bit, you know, and think about things and getting help for your mental health. You are not going to be locked up with ghosts and Halle Berry. And I would imagine Limp Biscuits behind blue eyes in a lot of healthcare facilities. Maybe some of them. I don't know. Uh, so maybe in Ohio, <laughs> you think I forgot what you fuckers <laughs> after that? We got to talk about it. She starred as the title role in Catwoman. I take back everything I said about Monsters Ball. In which she received $12.5 million to start it, which at the time was the highest for any single actress to star in one movie. It had a $106 million budget. It only grossed $17 million on its first weekend and only made something like $40 million worldwide. Uh... It's regarded by critics as one of the worst movies ever. <laughs> she showed up for her Razzie, which is pretty cool. That's amazing. She's a good sport. She is a good sport. So she has a Razzie. I don't know if that shows up in the Egotter. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> Regot. Igor. <laughs> she got Igor. <laughs> yeah. Particularly when it's not that far off of getting your best actress award to getting your Razzie award. Three years. <laughs> That's kind of a kick in the ass. Also, have you seen Catwoman, Nick? Not recently. Second bill, I believe, is Alex Bornstein and Sharon Stone. Yeah, she's the baddie. Also, just it's one of those ones of the mid-2000s where it's pre-Paul Fahey. It's just the dumbest fucking shit for comic book movies. It could have been cool. It could have been interesting. It could have been a lot of things. It had the budget. A lot of people signed on because they were like, maybe this will be like Tim Burton's Batman, and I'm in it. It is not that. <laughs> it's real stupid. My grandfather's funeral was more entertaining because I laughed a lot more than I did during <laughs> Catwoman. Everyone did. Uh, <laughs> she was in Oprah's ABC television movie, Their Eyes Were Watching God, the adaptation of Zora Neale Hurston's novel. She kind of bounced back. She won a primetime Emmy Award for that. I have not seen that yet. Neither have I. I don't watch anything with God in the title. There's a lot of stuff that's not. I kind of dropped off after this. She kind of falls off in a lot of ways. She was in Perfect Stranger, which is not about Balky, where she starred with Bruce Willis. My cousin Hallie. In which she plays a reporter who goes undercover to uncover the killer of her childhood friend. Yeah, it's not Grace. She was in The Things We Lost in the Fire, starring Benicio Del Toro. Nick, are you a big fan? I really tried to watch it. I really tried to. I love Benicio. Halle Berry's great. <laughs> but it's like... At that point, he was still doing his 21 gram shit. I was like, I can't do this. I know, man. It was, uh, boy. So we get it. You won an Oscar, too. Like, come on, man. Jesus Christ. Just play a crazy person. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, dude. It's like, you go through these. Never heard of Frankie and Alice. Yeah. Apparently, she plays both Frankie and Alice. I... She's in New Year's Eve, directed oh, by favorite movie. Uh, Gary Marshall, R.I.P. R.I.P. With but there's like. 50 fucking actors in this. They only get like three speaking lines each. I rented it and was like, what the fuck is this? She took on the supporting role of a nurse befriending a man in the final stages, Robert De Niro. It made $142 million. Oh no, he made all, he made like, that was the end of his career, which is crazy. Gary Marsh was like, I think that's just based on every person who was in the movie going to see it one time. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of Gary Marshall's career is like, ah, New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, whatever the fuck it was called. New Year's, New Year's Day. <laughs> what is it called? It's a much different movie. Everyone's got a hangover watching college football. 
I loved our New Year's Day for like three years in a row. Yeah. We were, you and I were just fucking wasted. We woke up drunk. We were hungover, and we just watched Aliens. Yes, hell yeah. Because the night before, you're we like, "What did you do?" I was like, "I took mushrooms and I watched Aliens." Like, <laughs> would you watch it again? Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> In 2012, she stars alongside her then husband Oliver Martinez. Also, she gets married a couple of times. We didn't talk about David Justice. She at one point was married. I, let's just avoid her personal life. Yeah, I agree. Because I, I for the research for this, I went like. There's episodes we do and I go on YouTube and I'll just type in a person's name and it's like, oh man, the works of this, the works of this. And it's like, it's again, she gets treated differently because she is a woman. She is a famous actress. Yeah. She's a person of color. Mm-hmm. Everything on there about Halle Berry was about like, why does everybody leave Halle Berry? Oh my Fuck God. Fuck you. You're single and you're not Halle Berry. Eat shit. YouTuber. Also that like people magazine culture is horrifying. Oh my God. This movie though. Dark Tide. Has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Dude. 0%. John Stockwell directed it. He directed a film called Cheaters. That's it. Also, he sort of worked on Top Gun. I don't know, man. It's uh I saw Cheaters. What did you think of Cheaters? It wasn't that bad. <laughs> Dark Tide is bad. Yeah. It's real stupid. But also in 2012, uh, a very polarizing movie, a movie me and Brian Tepps like a lot. She is in the Wachowskis epic that they literally cobbled together in the craziest possible way. They got money from tons of different countries to make one of the wildest movies I have ever seen. I defend this movie. I think it's cool. Even if you don't like it necessarily, it is definitely a movie you have to see. It is not a movie you've ever seen before. It spans lifetimes. It goes into people's past lives, their future lives. It is a movie in 2012 the Wachowskis made called Cloud Atlas. She plays six different characters across periods of five centuries. I really love Cloud Atlas. I am a mark for this kind of stuff, but I, I dig it. What do you think, Nick? Cloud what? <laughs> Cloud. I've never seen it. you never seen Cloud Atlas? No. Oh, come on, man. I don't watch Tom Hanks films. <laughs> I like that that's your reasoning behind it. I mean, I... He's great at it. He's fucking astounding in it. I love Tom Hanks. I don't like his movies. So I just have this agreement with him where it's like, I get to love him the rest of his life. Yeah. I don't bring up his son, Chet. And then I just don't watch his films. I guess, man. I think you should watch it. I think Cloud Atlas is a very... Me and Teps are saying Is it better than Jupiter Ascending? Yes! Oh, yes. Jupiter Ascending is a disaster. I know it was. I didn't... Calm down. It was a joke. (laughs) Jesus. We were still doing comedy on this. We were definitely... It literally struck me for a second. I was like, nothing is worse than Jupiter Ascending. Apparently, whatever that fucking last movie was. Oh, well, I mean... Okay, but Chanimtating has space roller skates. This is not the time. This is not the time. He's part dog. (laughs) There is... It is one of the I'll dogs. watch Cloud, uh, Cloud Funnel. Cloud Funnel. Yes, correct. Cloud Funnel Cake. F- Cloud Funnel Cake. <laughs> it's, um, the search for sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've always defended the Wachowskis. They make some bad shit. Cloud Atlas is not one of the bad things. It actually came together. I dug the shit out of it. And she's great in it. She's really great in it. And great in weird sci-fi ways, in ways that are completely different than anything she's done before. And... Honestly, when I watched it, I was just glad to see her be awesome again because it had been a waiho <laughs> at that point. That had been like 10 years since I saw a movie with Halle Berry that I actually enjoyed. However, then in 2013, 
she was in a movie called Movie 43 uh, that the Fairley Brothers made in which R.I.P. Roger Ebert, one of his last things called The Citizen Kane of Awful. <laughs> By that. <laughs> the Farley Brothers are like like a band that put out two great albums and then everyone's like, yeah, they got a record contract. Yeah. Yeah. Man, there's a lot of stuff after this. I don't know. Kevin Hart, what now? 2016? It's like Kevin Hart, go away now. <laughs> she appeared in a movie called Kidnap, an abduction thriller Barry filmed in 2014, but was released in 2017. <laughs> yeah. She was in Kingsman, the Golden Circle. Got herself a paycheck. i never seen any of those. They're, uh, she was in Kings, along with Daniel Craig, about the 1992 Los Angeles riots. Mm, topical film. And then, as Nick brought up, once again, she returns to badass, as always. Yeah. John Wick 3, or John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. What do you think of John Wick 3, Nick? It's not the best of the series. It's like 20 minutes too long. But the shit in this movie is nuts. And also, that's what I like about fucking the John Wick series is because they're not like casting new actors in it. They're getting people who are solid characters. Like yeah. Lawrence Fishburne's been in the last two. Yeah. Jason, not Jason Sudeikis. Who's the other one? <laughs> Jason Manzukis. Jason Manzukis is in the third one. Yes. Playing a homeless hitman. He's amazing in it. He's amazing. They are not getting like washed up white actors. They are no. getting... Actors of color who are fucking terrific and show up and are just badass for a little bit. And I didn't even realize Holly Berry was in this movie. <laughs> I just saw John Wick 3. I was like, oh, cool. I'll go see it. This is the Logan. Also, in the first 20 minutes, he beats a dude in the library who's like a he's a former basketball player from the NBA. He's like seven foot tall. And when he finally kills this guy using like an encyclopedia, this dude in front of me is just like, yeah. <laughs> and his girlfriend goes, that's it. We're leaving. And then they left. <laughs> this is in the opening 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> she was so sick of his shit already that when he screamed in the middle of John Wick, like we're leaving. I'm just but, saying that guy should have been like, all right, well, it's time for you to go then. <laughs> yeah. But he was so wasted. He would have done anything anyone told him. <laughs> When he was leaving, I was like, give me your popcorn. And I fucking ate his popcorn. Anyways, um, <laughs> Halle Berry. I ate your popcorn. <laughs> no, Halle Berry is great in this. She plays yeah. a total badass. She has all these dogs. But it's like, she just comes out and she fucking owns the mm-hmm. screen. She's a movie star. She is a fucking movie star. Yes. And she, she should be in movies that are good, she should be treated like a movie star. I know. It's her, it's Keanu, they're fucking shooting (laughs) hundreds of people. The body count in this movie is ridiculous. She's just blowing motherfuckers away (laughs) through the whole goddamn thing. (laughs) It's a John Wick movie. It's a John Wick movie. Like, you're not going for the plot. It's like, (laughs) oh, how does he feel? You know what's funny is, like, I like the John Wick movies a lot, but they, for me, in a lot of ways, are the closest to the McBain movies from The Simpsons. They're, they're past McBain. They are straight up. <laughs> if the um, the guys we love, they produced movies in the 80s. They were terrible. Uh, the Jerry Brothers, Hart. the production company. You oh, bring the, them oh, the uh, Canon Films. They are the Go-Go Canon Brothers. Films yes. made by people who know how to make movies. Menachem Golem and... yeah. Globus for Hakim. They're very <laughs> Greek or whatever. They're, they're, some... they're Israeli. Oh, well, good for them. They're cool. They, yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Well, I apologize. But. Lahayim. <laughs> Lahayim. Here's the thing. 
John Wick movies are canon films. Yeah. Keanu Reeves is Chuck Norris, but if Chuck Norris could read and write. <laughs> um, <laughs> it wasn't a right-wing dildo. And it wasn't a right-wing dildo. And then you bring in Holly Berry, and she's just like, guess what? She's the Holly Berry role. She's amazing in this. You have Lawrence Fishburne. You have the one guy from The Wire who played Daniels. You have the one guy from Deadwood. Everybody's so oh, good man. in these movies. So many good character actors. Yeah. Even in the beginning, the guy who starts the whole thing is Theon Greyjoy, who's actually one of the good character actors from Game of Thrones, who's the dildo who shoots his dog and like yeah. is an ass, the asshole coked up kid of a crime lord. And I kind of love that guy. Like, And they also had the guy from those stupid insurance ads who was on Oz yes. in this, and he was actually playing he a character. Heat. Huh? <laughs> he was in Heat, right? No. Not the guy with the driver in Heat? No. The other guy from the the, the chaos guy. <laughs> oh, the yeah. mayhem. Mayhem, uh, mayhem. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's not Peter Berg, is it? No, I'm just kidding. No, Peter Berg's out there making right wing movies with oh, fucking um, Johnny a, Wahlberg's brother. Also, such a bummer because Peter Berg is actually a very talented. He's a very talented director. movie, but yeah. everything he makes now is patriotic bullshit. He's still mad about Battleship. <laughs> Battleship is his Vietnam. He'll never get over it. <laughs> Battleship was good. It was good. I mean, we had to wait like eight years for Rihanna to be in another movie. Spoiler alert: Battleship is not good. Battleship is. I think the last the one we have to bring. Catwoman of movies. I did watch this movie. Barry made her directorial debut with a movie called Bruised, in which she plays a disgraced MMA fighter named Jackie Justice. It's actually kind of a. I don't want to say fun, but it's kind of a wild ass movie, and I really kind of dug Bruised. I watched it. It came out on Netflix. It was a Netflix movie. It came out twenty twenty. And I thought it was actually kind of cool and was her playing a, like a Rocky type character. And I thought she was great in it. Do uh, you have any other movies, Nick, of her filmography that we haven't mentioned? You know, I was going to get real upset you didn't ask me about that just so I could be like, I hadn't seen it. But no, I'm good. <laughs> well, I think it might be time. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School dumpster. Dumpster sound. We're going to do one. We're going to do one. We're going to do one pick. Nick, what are you throwing in the dumpster for the Blockbuster Film School? I'm going to go with The Last Boy Scout. Ooh. Because. As it should. Fuck that movie. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And as much as, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Catwoman is bad. Yeah. Catwoman is very bad. One of us would have to do one of each. It is a bummer. It It is a bummer. I saw it in the theater. And it just bummed me out the entire time. I did not see The Last Boy Scout in theaters, but no. Brian Tepps did. Yeah. Which and then he got so angry, he started carrying a knife. Explains a lot. Yeah. About <laughs> and the Flintstones. Oh, God, the Flintstones. Man, if there was every time I wanted him to have a mic. You know what? The Flintstones needs to go in there, too. Fuck it. Like, yeah. It's trash. And the fact that it made $300 million, dollars, that's fucking ridiculous. Shame on you, this might world. Be the, this might be the time where it's like, if we don't mention it in the wall, it just goes in the dumpster. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably fair. I think it might be time now. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall! <laughs> We're going to do three of those, three of those picks. Nick, what is your third Halle Berry Blockbuster Film School? Whoa. I'm going to be a dick. <laughs> My th- number three is the Kendrick Lamar song, Money Trees, where <laughs> he goes, Halle Berry or Hallelujah. And for a long time, that's your that was my favorite thing with Halle Berry in it for a long time, and it cannot be denied. Well, 
that's uh all right. Yeah. <laughs> I think my third one is I'm gonna say Bullworth. Bullworth is fun. It's actually a great piece of satire. I think she's awesome in it. I think Warren Beatty's awesome in it. I would really like to watch it again. I'm gonna say Bullworth. Yeah. It's not as hip as yours. But well, no, here's the thing though. My number two is Bullworth. <laughs> I love Bullworth. I love her in it. I love uh Mr. La La Land himself. Nice. I it's a great fucking movie. And it were honestly when Bernie Sanders was running for president, I thought about Bullworth a lot. I oh interesting. Like I was like, all right, this is uh yeah. I'm like, and because of Bullworth, I was supremely disappointed in the outcome, <laughs> but like not Bullworth. surprised. <laughs> Can't fight City Hall. My number two. I know this is like kind of going against because she's not the main character, but I really love X-Men days of future past. I didn't think the X-Men franchise would come around to something I really loved, but I think it's amazing. And I think she's cool as hell in it. I think it's, she's great. She's great. And it was great to see everybody all come together as their one sort of X-Men Avengers movie that didn't suck. And Peter Dinklage and man, I respect any movie that retcons anything Brett Renner did. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Even though it involves Brian Singer, but it's still, yeah, I was astounded by how much I liked that movie. I was ready to think that it sucked and I was astounded (laughs) by how good it was. What's your number one, Nick? Introducing Dorothy Dandridge. Oh, it's great. It is. Damn near perfect. I agree with it. I would also make the weird, slightly Hollywood thing that did she win the Academy Award for Dorothy Dandridge through Monsters Ball? You know what I'm saying? A little bit in that. Uh, like, I mean, she's great in Monsters Ball. She enough, no, I think she won it for Monsters Ball. There's enough time passing between. Sure. It wasn't like when they realized, oh, we should have gave the award to fucking DiCaprio for <laughs> Right. For Wolf. Yes. I think there was a three year difference between that. So there's a little bit of that, like sometimes with Oscars where there's a little bit of a trampoline effect where it's like, oh, that first jump was really good. And then the second jump wasn't as good. But man, that first jump was really, really good. We should have given it to you on that one. So that one plus this one equals one movie. You win. Dorothy Danridge is amazing. And I'm going to do it, though. I'm going to, me and Bri, I'm going to go out on a limb here. My favorite. She plays six different characters. My favorite, my pick on the wall is Cloud Atlas. I still think it's cool. I know people shit on it because it's weird, but I love it. I think it's weird and awesome and fun as fuck. Getting the thumbs up from Brian Tapps. I dig it. I think we did it, Nick. I think we pulled it off. Let's wait and see how the numbers come out. She's a very polarizing character, at least in some of her movies, not as a person. She seems very cool. Yeah. And is a great movie star and an awesome A-list actress. And I honestly, as we said, wouldn't surprise me at all if she wins a bunch more. Academy no, I Awards. think she's got another one. Uh, I've run into a random odd amount of celebrities in my time and very few where I've just been like frozen. Yeah. I think Halle Berry will be one of them if I, I ever see her in real life. I agree. As opposed to me verbally assaulting celebrity chef Bobby Flay on the street or just <laughs> looking at uh, Elaine <laughs> Bennis when she was in Sultans and be like, hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? Also, 
I know we weren't going to talk about our personal life. I did have to bring this up though. Recently, someone saw her working out at a, a gym in Hollywood and she's like super buff. And they were like, why are you getting super, super buff? Are you going to be in like a comic book movie? And she just sort of like, was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So possibly showing up in the MCU at some point, maybe as storm. I don't know, but like was like super ripped. Camille Nanjiani style. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Does that mean she's not going to be funny anymore? I sure hope that's not the truth because she is also, we didn't really talk about that, but she is kind of underrated as a comedic actor as well. She's super hilarious, but that is the Halle Berry episode. We did it. We pulled it off. We're going to turn the fan back on because the mics are going to be off. We love you guys. If you're still listening, please tell your friends, follow us on Instagram, follow us on all the sites. If you want to check out our Patreon, we got a Patreon we've been working on, but please write a review, like, and subscribe. It really helps. It really does. And we appreciate anybody who still listens and likes our show. We love you guys. It means a lot. And we'll see you next week. You can be here next week, next. I might be here next week. I might be in Cleveland burning the whole city down. <laughs> Eat that. Eat that. You like that? Well, team, I think you did a great job. You're great blockbuster film school cadets. From me, Alex Bonner, with the headmaster Nick Souter and the super producer Brian Tepps. We love you. We're watching over you always. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>